Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am James Crepia, joined uh, as always by Ryan Clark, and we'll be going over and reviewing uh, the last week uh, in Oregon athletics uh, for men's and women's basketball, uh, the baseball and softball teams uh, getting rolling, and uh, touch a little bit on the uh, NFL Combine as that is getting underway. Uh, in Indianapolis this week. Uh, Brandon Dorless, uh, as we are recording this on uh, Thursday afternoon, Brandon Dorless uh, will be taking part in on-field drills quite literally as we are recording. So we may be able to uh, read off a couple of his 40 times uh, amidst all of this. But uh, he, he's one of seven uh, Ducks at the Combine this year. Kyrie Jackson uh, also there. Uh, he did interviews earlier today. Uh, Evan Williams also on the defensive side. And, of course, on the offensive side, uh, a lot of the uh, headline makers there as well with uh, Bo Nix, obviously, uh, Bucky Irving, Troy Franklin, and Jackson Powers Johnson. So uh, a record number of Ducks uh, in, in, in Indianapolis. And we'll certainly be uh, capturing uh, their on-field performances and uh, a few blurbs of what they have to say uh, to the reporters who are in Indianapolis at the Combine uh, this year. But we start, uh, Ryan, with uh, the basketball programs, uh, and we will touch on uh, the men uh, in a moment. But uh, since we started with them last week, we'll start with uh, the women this week. And uh, obviously, as we've touched on before, uh, we knew this season would not be a particularly good one, uh, but the losing streak now reaching a uh, program record tying 11 straight losses uh, after the losses to the Washington schools uh, to a and also a, a very much rebuilding uh, Washington team and a Washington State team that is still quite good on paper but lost its best player uh, many weeks ago. So the Ducks now, uh, again, as we're recording Thursday afternoon, prepare to host Cal this evening and then Stanford. Uh, I mean, I think we know how that one will go on, on Saturday in the regular season finale before heading to the Pac-12 tournament. The only thing left to determine uh, is whether or not Oregon will finish in last place uh, versus uh, Arizona State for last place in the Pac-12 and, of course, the future. But as the losing streak has extended, Ryan, what what has been your impression what has been some of your takeaways here more recently of even last week's games where, yes, were they more competitive? Yes, but they were supposed to be. Those are lesser opponents than uh, the barrage of ranked opponents that they faced. Right. And obviously the results were still the same. So what was some of your takeaways and even the more uh, recent games uh, and how this team has been performing? Yeah, I mean, 11 in a row is 11 in a row, right? It, it doesn't really get much lower and it hasn't in program history lower than that i mean you, you touched on it like if they they lose tonight against cal that's that's the record and that's a that's a tough blemish on what has been a really overall strong tenure for uh for kelly graves and company so you know they obviously don't want that to happen i think cal tonight we're recording this podcast as you said on on thursday afternoon uh cal tonight is that opportunity for them to to get off of that streak because if they don't win tonight uh there is a juggernaut coming in on Saturday in Tar Vanderveer's Cardinal, but uh, these last few games, I mean, it's yeah, it's been competitive. Those last two games, uh, you expect it to be competitive against those teams. Washington, as you said, are rebuilding. Washington State lost its best player, but probably good chance they get in the tournament based on their overall resume. Um, good, regardless of opponent that they were competitive. The problem of the matter is that level of competitiveness never quite seemed like, oh, like they've got a real 
good chance of winning this game, right? It was it was pretty. It, it it's the stretches of incompetence and the stretches of just sheer struggle that this team goes through. Um, it it often seems like they're playing with one hand tied behind their back at times with the lack of of shooting ability on the outside. That's consistent for them now that's improved in in recent games but before that it was pretty dismal from the outside Filipina Shea is is racking up the points and rebounds she's somebody that's been obviously a bright spot by by both attrition and by the fact that she's really come into her own as as a solid starting center at the collegiate level um she's a she's a 20 and 10 for them um or close to it pretty much night in and night out at this point in the season because they don't really have anywhere else to go for offensive production right now, at least on a consistent basis. I mean, you look at that Washington State game, um, you know, you're competitive with a team that that is on paper better than you, but you need more out of different role players. And and I thought that uh, that Van Sluten was strong, uh, but other than than her and then a couple of good games in a row from Kennedy Basham, uh, the guard spot hasn't produced on the level that I think the Ducks need. Uh, Chance Gray was, I think, like two of 15 or two of 16 uh, in that uh, in that Washington State game. That's not going to cut it for somebody that, you know, they rely on pretty heavily to to get up some shots, especially from outside. So. A lot of layers to their struggles. Obviously, the, the talent gap is is evident with the rest of, the, of what is a really strong Pac-12 conference this year. Um, I don't think this is a team that has necessarily given up or is sort of mailing it in as the season goes down the stretch. I just think that the, the hill is just a bit too steep to climb for them. And so the question will be, can they get off this win streak with, uh, with two games to, or losing streak with two games to go? Yeah. Uh, again, we've touched on briefly before, but so many of the analytics, uh, so many, you know, you, you could look at basic statistics uh, and then you could look at deeper analytics to, to really illustrate and understand uh, exactly how poor uh, the season has been, um, whether it be individually or collectively. Uh, again, the lack of depth, you know, speaks to why uh, obviously their bench scoring is, is virtually non-existent. Um, and, and, and that's not being hyperbolic. They are, their bench scoring, their bench points per game is not only last in the Pac-12. Uh, and again, remember, Arizona State still plays in this league, uh, you know, for, for another you know, month or so, uh, as far as the basketball teams are concerned. Uh, they're 340th nationally out of 349 teams in bench scoring. Um, so that's, you know, it, does, it doesn't get much lower, uh, to say the least, uh, in that particular category. That's easy enough to understand. Steals. Again, for a team that entered the season talking about how they're going to be scrappy, gritty, and really be known for their defense, uh, we've talked all year. They they don't foul, uh, they, so they don't they don't play uh, as the old Arizona State teams did, uh, in particular. And I'm not saying that was a particularly appealing brand of basketball, but you knew that when you were playing them, you were in for a fight. You were in for a really tough uh, defensive kind of a game uh, because that was the way they were going to play. Uh, Oregon they sit in zone all night. Uh, so they don't force any turnovers. They are literally 348th and only ahead of Arizona State in the entire country uh, in turnovers forced because they sit in zone, uh, in part because they don't have the depth to play man, and in part because some of the players who have been there playing in zone, and that's what stood out the last time they were at home, uh, albeit against better opponents, some of the <laughs> uh, some of the players were getting uh, blown right by uh, when they were, you know, particularly on the wings, yeah. uh, on the defensive end, yeah, or not, you know, getting for loose balls on the defensive end and that stuff. Where that's the part that stands out. Where you go, like, all right, 
You want to sit in a zone is one thing. You don't want to force turnovers is one thing. Um, you don't want to – you name it. But when, uh, in particular, certain players on the wings, uh, certain, you know, defensively, in zone are just getting say just getting blown right by yeah it's, it can't um, be a soft zone it has to be reactive and you have to use the athleticism that you have i think you know players like chance gray that have that athleticism can function well in such a defensive system the problem is the the, the unit the collective unit and whether this is an, an issue of you know tactics or effort it, it varies based on the moment but they are just not reactive and they have allowed so many open jump shots to teams that they should not have allowed them to uh, let teams get back into games when they've had solid enough leads uh, and, and gotten themselves into pretty deep holes against, uh, against much better teams as a result of that, they're just not reactive. And if you're going to play zone, like you, you gotta, you gotta move as one as, as coaches like to like to say as a, as an old basketball coach cliche, right? Like you can't just uh, have, have three people doing their job and then a couple of them are like a step or two slow. Yeah. And that's the point. It's like if one person gets beat in particular, <clears throat> like we're talking about on the defensive side, uh, yeah, the help side uh, and, and other defenders aren't exactly uh, moving collectively in that sense. So that's where many of their struggles are on that end uh, of the court. So even though it may look like, well, statistically scoring defense may not be uh, all that bad. You know, well, for one, it, it kind of is. Uh, for one, <laughs> they are 11th in the league and 235th nationally. So let's not make that out to be some uh, resounding success, albeit against, yes, a very tough league. But when you get into, as I say, the advanced statistics for this team, and that's where some of it, particularly in league play, is so, so alarming, so extreme, so unfathomable. That that's where you really have to ask some like you really have to post questions like what is what is going on what was what was the plan uh, because particularly when we're talking about defense conference opponents with two games to go and you know again Stanford being one of them so no matter what they do with Cal win lose or or how the performance looks conference opponents have assists on seventy two percent of their baskets I mean that's that's hard to do on air. That I mean, that that's legitimately that is extremely, that is off the charts. That is the most in the fifteen years uh, of the uh, her hoop stats uh, database. That is the most that Oregon's allowed, and I would suggest that that might be one of the highest numbers allowed by a major collegiate program at all in the prior 15 years. I mean, that's just, that is hard to do, uh, particularly in league play where, you know, you're, you're supposed to know what the other team is doing. I don't care if you're playing zone man or anything. That is just so extreme, so off the charts. In case in point, you know, one of the higher numbers Oregon had allowed was last season at six, 62%. And that was high. To have assists, uh, opponents have assists on 72% of their baskets is as I say that's that's it borders on unfathomable. Yeah, it suggests a lot of very easy looks, right? And, and yes. whether it's from from inside or outside, and so that. But easy yeah. looks that aren't coming on the fast break. That yeah. Basically, what that tells you is that only twenty eight percent of baskets are coming with one player going coast to coast or fast break or doing it solo. Everybody is getting extreme ball movement and ease of passes and passing lanes and finishing. 
So it's not just that the passes are there, it's that they're also obviously converting on them. And that's the point where you go like, all right, I don't care what defense you're playing. That's, that is so off the charts combined with, oh yeah, a turnover rate that is barely, <laughs> barely happening at all. Um, so opponents are, you know, assisting on 72% of their baskets and they're only turning it over, again, conference opponents are talking about, less than 11% of their possessions. And Oregon is turning it over at an extreme on offense. So if your assist to turnover ratio on offense is abysmal and their assist to turnover ratio in conference play is 2.4. I mean, you, you want to talk about recipes for not being able to win games? This is it. Yeah. You're allowing opponents to, to have free, free reign and free will to pass and move and shoot uh, without really very much of a challenge at all. Uh, and on offense, you're just giving it away, yeah, and, and not and not converting, uh, particularly from the outside, where they actually credit to them the last couple of games, which stood out to me was they're not even attempting shots on the outside. But how can you critique them? They're not shooting well. So if it's you know, <laughs> what's the definition of insanity? Keep doing, you know, it's, you know, it's not working. So okay, so they've gone inside uh, at times with some some moderate success, but obviously outside has been a challenge. It's been a challenge all year, like you touched on. And if Chance Gray is not knocking them down, there's basically nobody else who's even attempting threes. Uh, and okay, but if you're giving up if you're giving up what you're giving up and you're going from the two point uh, and the free throw line uh yeah the, the recipe for success uh this season has been as as we've touched on uh virtually impossible uh and that's where they find themselves yeah and you know this is this is part of the larger conversation about where the program stands uh going into the future and Look, I mean, the, the, these last two games are what they are. Try to get off the losing streak. Your season's going to end in a couple of weeks. That's that's just that's just going to be what it is uh, for for this Oregon team this year. The question then will be, you know, if Kelly Graves is retained, what does his staff do to sort of retool this program in a way that allows them to compete next season? Obviously, that includes, as we said on the last podcast, work in the transfer portal, the recruiting trail. Those are obviously the two big areas that they need desperately because they, they need more bodies. They need more players that are, you know, collegiate level contributors and stars and people that can carry you on both ends. And they're was one piece of news this week from the program getting a, a five-star guard, Jania Williams, uh, for class of 2025. Obviously, she's not going to be here for a while. She won't be here next year, obviously. Um, but, you know, work in the in the class of 24 and, you know, work on the, on the trail for, you know, NIL and offering that to, to different players and, and trying to tout the successes your program has had and build the brand back in a way that that allows you to succeed because right now like what they're doing currently simply is just not cutting it last place in, in the league is not something that kelly graves aspires to and and is not representative i think of of what's happened over the last decade in this program um no and and, and they do get peyton scott back that that, that being the other uh, bit of news for the week and that she announces as was expected so yes it was formally announced we should say really but right from the time she was injured and you know li literally five minutes into the season the expectation was that she would seek a medical hardship waiver uh to play the additional year uh and then be able to return for a six year so that was formally announced earlier this week but again we ever since november that had been the working assumption because what basically why wouldn't you um like what, what, what you know why in the world would you would you not uh so 
yes, she gets to come back. Uh, but in terms of, you know, on paper, does it look like they have, uh, you know, most of the roster, uh, particularly most of the contributors, uh, you know, slated to come back? Yeah, and of course, as soon as the season's over, uh, but not and not, we're not just talking regular season or or Pac-12 tournament because while you can think of it whatever you want to think of it, there is still the opportunity to play in one of the postseason tournaments. Uh, whether or not you choose to pay attention to it or not, that that's up to you as a fan. That's we're not here to tell you one way or the other. If they play, they play. Uh, whatever the tournament is, whatever the opportunity is, for however long it may or may not be, but. Once the season is completely over, uh, obviously, all, <clears throat> all players everywhere have decisions uh, to make regarding their future. So we're not going to start openly speculating about who's going, coming or otherwise. On paper, do they have most of their roster um, with eligibility remaining and the opportunity to return? Yes. Uh, and they have uh, two signees, uh, Katie Faiso being one of them. So when you have a Peyton Scott who is supposed to be your 30 plus minute a night point guard and Faiso who's going to be well, originally you thought Scott was going to be just the one-year player and then Faisal would take over. Now you might be able to pair them together. Uh, Chance plays more of a true uh, two and, and not have to you know rely on her to be the uh, ball-heavy uh, point guard next year. Sure. But again, lots of decisions to make across the board for the program, top-down. Um, so we're not going to get into every single player and what they're going to do. There's plenty of time to get into all that. For now, it's wrapping up. It's seeing what can they snap the losing streak whether they do or they don't, but this team looks like, the, and the, like you touched on, Ryan, the, the, to, to wrap it up on them and as we shift to the men, um, this team has not completely mailed it in at all. Now, again, you can critique certain things by way of defensive effort or fighting for loose balls or, or getting out hustle. Yes, there are things to, to critique for sure. But, but last weekend where, when the losing streak was nine games, had they gone to Washington and Washington State and gotten their doors blown off, that's where you start asking questions about in a far greater way, uh, they were competitive, and that you don't get a you don't get a prize for that. You don't you know you, there's there's no silver linings for that sort of thing. But the point is is that they were still trying to win these games, uh, and and we'll see obviously what happens this evening with the game against Cal. But had they gone into games where they're quote unquote supposed to be more competitive, and gotten just shellacked, then you say okay then 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 this team has really given up. Um, Credit to the players insofar as it is hard to keep a particular upbeat mindset when you are losing that much. Uh, I mean, Kelly Graves even said earlier this week, he described everybody as a bit shell-shocked because, I mean, look, you, <laughs> it is what it is. You've lost 11 straight games. Um, now, that said, for the players who were part of last year's team, you know, they had an awfully long losing streak last year uh, toward the end of the regular season as well. Uh, so, again, uh, it's been a tough year. No matter what happens this weekend, or in the Pac-12 tournament, it will continue to be a tough year. Uh, so we'll obviously chronicle the last uh, few games that remain and also uh, begin to, as we already have, uh, address what it looks like heading into the future. But for for the men, Ryan, I, uh, part of why we're doing the podcast on Thursday this week, because they were playing uh, last evening, late into last evening, uh, with a fine 8 o'clock local start. Yeah, I heard about some, uh, uh, some pretty uh, sketchy drives up I-5 for some of the folks that uh, hail from the Portland area. Sean Maker among them who were uh, facing down a river, basically, uh, coming up late last night. So, Yeah, had, I'm sure it had to be a, a fun excursion for those who, uh, who made the voyage. Uh, but be that as it may, a... Uh, a one of the few games on the schedule every year that no matter what the records, uh, at case in point last night, no matter what the records, uh, Oregon and Oregon State 
generates uh, some attention uh, for uh, for obviously for our audience and for everybody who's a fan of either way in this state. Uh, and also, uh, hey, last night's game, first off, I thought as a game, as start to finish as an entire game, uh, was absolutely better than the one uh, you know earlier in the month uh, in Corvallis, where yes, the finish was you know rather entertaining, but the the game itself for about thirty five minutes was not, to be quite honest. Um, last night's game was competitive all the way through. Yes, Oregon pulls away a little bit late and makes it more comfortable and easier than it had been. But for a series that obviously is now about to shift into kind of a different world, and I say about to, but it's also entirely possible that these teams meet again in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, if Oregon can manage to finish in the top four and, and get that and all that, it's entirely possible they avoid playing Oregon State again. Uh, but depending on how Oregon finishes, it could be the 5-12 matchup uh, again in the Pac-12 tournament. So I say it's, it's possible. Uh, we will obviously discuss that if it occurs. But uh, these two teams, for a series that Oregon has dominated the last couple of seasons and has now won seven in a row, the longest win streak by either team in this series, the most contested series in college basketball in the country, the longest win streak in 20 years by either side since 99 to 03 and uh, a nine game win streak for Oregon. Then it actually took 19 of 20 at the time, uh, a seven game win streak for as dominant as it's been. You've had three last minute one possession wins in Corvallis uh, as part of that and a win last night that turns out 78 71 and Yes, they pulled away a little bit late again the last couple of minutes. The last 10 really taken over by Jermaine Kuznard and Kwame Evans Jr., who had by far the best game of his season uh, in doing so. But that said, on the other side, uh, look, you remember you saying the Beavers are shorthanded as well by way of uh, depth of, of talent. But Tyler Bilodeau and Jordan Pope made some crazy shots, some contested shots where particularly in the first half. I mean, Pope really put on a show uh, and made it extremely difficult for the Ducks there. Uh, and Bilodeau, again, played really well as well. They both had 20-point games, both played well. Uh, it was it, These two teams have an ability to bring out uh, simultaneously the best and worst in each other at times in the same game. Uh, because <laughs> at the start of each half and at the start of the first half of Corvallis, uh, the, the offense was a-flowing. Uh, points were just raining down for both teams. Ne neither one of them could really miss much by way of anything. Uh, and then at the same time, they could go through stretches where, you know, my goodness, uh, particularly as, as Oregon State finished, uh, holy smokes, you know, a, a brutal finish of 5-19 and 19, uh, to finish a game that they – and not to say that they had command of you when you have a, a game that has played within six points for 90 plus percent of it. Entertaining, amusing, at the same time, for Oregon's purposes in the big picture, uh, you're talking about a quadrant four home game. <laughs> so they quite literally dropped the spot uh, in the net as a result. So you don't want to make less of it than it is because it is a rivalry and it means a lot to people in the state and the programs and the teams and etc. However, in the big picture, let's call it what it is. Uh, if, if this were against a team one spot ahead or behind of Oregon State in the net rankings and Oregon was playing them in December in a non-conference game, uh, you, you would pay it very little mind at all. Yeah, it's a, it it's a box to, be a to check. Game. It's, it's, it's yes. something they just needed to do down the stretch with obviously bigger games ahead, including the next one. 
Yes, yes, in particular, and that's that the, the grand irony being that yeah, that the way that the schedule fell this year, that uh, uh, yes, that Oregon has uh, the midweek game with Oregon State, and now a trip to Tucson uh, and against the top team in the league. Whether Arizona wins the league or Washington State wins the league, Arizona's the best team in the league. Yeah, I mean, let, let, you know, let's and, let's and call last it what it Pac-12 is. Pac-12 trip to McHale too. Yeah, and that's that's part of it. That uh, look, I for all of the. Pac-12 opponents, uh, Oregon State included, that uh, and and both coaches have said they're they're going to continue the series as to where yeah. they're where the game will be played next year. Obviously, I'm sure they both want it at home. Do I think Oregon has probably a little bit of an advantage to probably getting it at home? Eh, yeah, probably, uh, but it'll rotate. It's not like it's going to be exclusively at Matthew Knight or exclusively at Gill for that matter. It'll go back and forth. It'll be earlier in the year, but so what? You know, I mean, frankly, I think there's a way uh, to do it whereby uh depending on who hosts uh the football game and i realize the football game gets moved up uh dramatically uh and and people can feel one way or the other but it gets moved up from obviously after thanksgiving to uh, uh to september but i think there's a way to do it whereby uh whoever hosts the football game that year that the other team could host the basketball game that year and you could do the basketball game either the day before or the day after or on the weekend of or depending on how the, the final weekend of the regular season goes for football. Um, yes, it's against different teams, so it's, it wouldn't be quite the same way as it could have, would have, should have been. But I think there's a way to do it whereby uh, that could get done. But again, we'll obviously discuss the scheduling and stuff in the future when, when we get there. But a series that, like I say, has been dominated by the Ducks uh, over the last couple of years, and yet there's been these really competitive games. Uh Again, three of them in Corvallis, but last night being another one where, I mean, Oregon State led, uh, you know, a huge chunk of the game. Uh, and again, got some really good performances there. But, you know, without making uh, nothing of it, because, again, it does matter to uh, to people in the state very much. And you had quite a showing of people uh, and, and alums and former players, uh, both uh, football and basketball, uh, at the game last night uh, at Matthew Knight Arena between uh, – First off, uh, yes, Dan Lanning has, has put in uh, some time at the, at the arena himself, but you had Marty Loon was there, uh, Tony Graziani was there, Joey Harrington was there. Uh, look, you know, great, nice, nice to see uh, former players uh, putting in some time, but again, for a midweek, 8 o'clock and the rest. But yeah, you know, it was 8,000 plus people in the building for a team, you know, for a game that, again, if we're against somebody that wasn't Oregon State, but it had similar ranking or similar standing, uh, you know, you would not get that kind of showing. So, yes, it does matter. Yes, there are people who are showing up simply because it is the rivalry and the like. And I thought got a really entertaining basketball game out of it. Yeah. Uh, and at times, really well played uh, at times. Uh, again, also at times where some of the shooting was pretty brutal. <laughs> but but for the lion's share of the night uh, and certainly in the entirety of the box score, that that became more of almost the outlier. Um Compared to uh, how Oregon had been uh, uh, shooting in a couple of prior games. Now, again, the three-point shooting was still not great. It wasn't. But in terms of how they finished in particular, uh, Kuznard and, and Evans specifically, I, I thought how Evans played on the whole, uh, particularly when he's coming off an ankle injury that, that had knocked him out for basically almost the entirety of the second half at Cal, for him to turn around and not just have a really good performance, but a performance in how it looked uh, in finishing facing the hoop with the power and authority that he did. Hey, this is part of what being a freshman is. Sometimes, yes, it does take 20-plus games for all the lights to go on, for the development to happen. But for all of those who want to be 
not just nitpicking, but almost hypercritical of Dana Altman and his staff because, oh, it could be a third year straight in the NIT and that's not the expectation. Well, first off, you know, Dana set the expectation uh, for one. Two, they're winning 20 games in these years where they're still going to the NIT. And, and we'll see whether or not they end up there or not. We'll see. It's not quite determined just yet. And what? Is it because of lack of recruiting? Now, this year, it's been a team ravaged by injury. Yeah. Ravaged by injury. And they're still going to end up potentially at 20-plus wins. Potentially with a top-four finish in the league. And who knows what happens in the conference tournament. Yeah, and then the whole landscape changes next year anyway when they move to the Big Ten and have all these other teams to, to play. And, and their whole the whole axis of their resume as it stands, as it will stand, is going to shift. So, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I think that, you know, yeah, it's disappointing, and I'm sure Dana's disappointed that, you know, it would be, if it is that, a third straight year in the NIT. But at the same time, I think given the, the you know, strength of the conference in some of those years and given given the bad luck this year with injury, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's anything to, to sort of discount or look down on, even if it might be disappointing. I think at times... With it, it's easy to fly off the handle about the the very base result and say, it, again, under the presumption that it is an NIT-bound team. And I say a presumption not because I, I, I think there's an at-large possibility. I do not, as I've said for weeks. Um, the math ain't mathing. It, it's not there. The, the, the uh, opportunities and the opportunities for quality wins are simply not there to have this team raise its profile enough. I still think the only path to the NCAA tournament is to win the Pac-12 tournament. And obviously the path to make that easier is to start with a top four finish and avoid um, having to play four games in four days uh, and hopefully for Oregon's purposes avoid playing Arizona until uh, the conference tournament finals. You, Not that potentially playing Washington State becomes a terribly easy task, sure. but at least you split with them. Do you, um, think so. this, uh, do you think this game then Saturday is sort of their bellwether? Like, oh, can we, can we hang with, compete with, and maybe even beat a team like Arizona just given the fact that that's going to be the dragon you got to slay in a couple of weeks anyway? So, you know, is this the big sort of tester for them given that their, their health is sort of where it's going to be? Once, yeah, once I mean, that they're tournament, not anybody back yeah, at this point. Yeah, they, so, this is this is who they got. Yeah. So, do you think? Uh, do you think that then? Is this is this maybe their their feeling about that game? I think there's tones that can definitely be set from regardless of what the outcome is, because look, if they go into uh, Mikhail and and one or just not just competitive in the sense that like if they lost by twelve, but it was close. No, no, no. I mean, if it's if it's a one or two score game, if it goes down to the wire, one way or the other, if it win, hey. What a feather in the cap, and it's obviously the best win of the season. And you know that then you'll start getting you know the, the those who are still holding out the the morsel of hope, and will will f- completely lose their minds over whatever bracketologist says they moved up four spots or something, um, without projecting as to what the, the the next week has in store. But whatever. But even in a loss, if it were to be close, if they were to contain Caleb Love and not have him go off as he did the first time around. Uh, which took all of the air out of the building uh, immediately in the, in the earlier meeting of the season. If they were to achieve certain things, even in defeat, as long as they, again, were still able to finish in a top four position and put themselves in position to play Arizona again, whether it be in a semifinal or 
tournament final if they got there. I think you can take something from a performance, even in defeat, against a team like that. Uh, if you're able to achieve something, if you're able to really say like, all right, well, yeah, it, it obviously stinks to lose, but uh, you were able to contain their best player and, and really put him in a, in a bind, if you can. Compared to, like, frankly, you may get a, an incredible win, but if Caleb Love goes off for, you know, 28 points and you win by two, yeah, you win by two, but in a, in a rematch, you're going to go like, yeah, but you've had a hard time containing when you know, one of the best players in the league has gone absolutely bananas right. uh, each time you've played him. So I think there are things that you could take positively, um, win or lose from the trip to Tucson. But obviously, yes, winning it, would it be significant? Would it carry uh, you know an incredible amount of weight in terms of a potential rematch and, and how they feel about things uh, you know at that point what would be about two weeks later in the conference tournament? Sure, uh, but cart before the horse. Um, there's still obviously the, the the two games thereafter against the Mountain Schools, which Colorado slides up for the moment. Uh, it, it appears to be a quadrant one home game, and I say appears because they're 29th, and the cutoff in the net rankings is top 30. Uh, so they've been on the cusp of quadrant one or quadrant two in terms of Oregon's resume. Well, not just Oregon's resume, but we're, we're focused on Oregon's resume, everyone's resume, uh, as as uh, what would be a quadrant one home game against the top 30 team. They're right there on the cusp of it. Uh, will it be, won't it be, to, to be determined. Ultimately, Arizona, for as big as it is, does it carry weight and significance? Yes. Win or lose, will the Colorado game, one way or the other, probably be more significant? Not just because of whatever Colorado and it, you know, wherever it falls on a, on a net resume, but because of the conference standings. Because again, no matter what they do against Arizona, Colorado's still right there with them, one game behind in the standings. Uh, and they play Stanford, uh, you know, where, yes, Oregon has. Oregon has Arizona on Saturday. Colorado's got Stanford on Sunday. So if you were to go by chalk here and Oregon loses and Colorado wins, then they are both sitting at 11-7 and seven entering next week's game where the winner will almost undoubtedly have the leg up, uh, particularly since Colorado already had the win earlier in the year. If Colorado wins it, Oregon can't catch him, and then the ceiling is fourth. That's, to me, the more significant game, regardless of what Oregon does or doesn't do against Arizona. The Colorado matchup, because of the implications for the top four, the race for the top four, is really significant. Um, and obviously, UCLA losing to USC um, had had a factor there. Uh, we got a game uh, tonight with uh, UCLA and Washington, where for Oregon's purposes, for the for the race for the top four. Oregon will want Washington to win that game. Uh, that would be rather advantageous uh, for the Ducks. If uh, any, anything that can basically help their top four purposes, this is no longer about at large and resumes and those sorts of things and, and what the ripple effects are in quadrant two, three, and the like. This is just yeah, about positioning getting to the top yeah. four and positioning. So that's where I say I think the Colorado matchup is bigger because of the implications, um, particularly where, again, win or lose against Arizona. If Arizona does win the league, the difference between three and four could be significant. And whether you have to play them in the semifinal versus the final. And again, I'm not looking past the potential matchup with Wazoo and thinking that that's easy. It's not. 
um, one way or the other, you're going to have to go through, in all likelihood, two teams who are bound for the, you know, two ranked teams, two teams who are bound for the tournament. One way or the other, you're going to have to beat them both um, to, to, to win the conference tournament, to win the auto bid. Uh, so the, the mission's not easy, but what is the quote unquote easier path? Uh, probably playing Washington State first. <laughs> I mean, just just going with us because because think because if you're the four and you play Arizona first and somehow some way you beat them, congratulations on less than 24 hours. Then you probably have to play Washington State and beat them. Um, that's no picnic. That that's that's not a lot of fun. After you just probably had to go completely bananas uh, and had to play. Yeah, you'd just rather a full you'd rather sort game. of build it up in terms of the intensity, right? Because you're going to be as as intense probably with with Wazoo as you might be with Arizona, but it's a different different animal, right? It's and who had to play who in the semifinal yeah. before that? When you get to the final big, and that's that's all stuff that we'll obviously touch on uh, next week and setting up for the Mountain Schools matchups and and the like, uh, and and obviously. We'll go over whatever they do do uh, in in Arizona and like uh, as we uh, put a bow on this week's uh, edition of the podcast wanted to touch uh, a little bit more on uh, baseball and softball as we made a, uh, a cursory mention of them last week uh, we'll certainly get more into them as their seasons go on uh, but baseball uh, not a lot to get into by way of every which thing just yet because uh, look they had their home opening series uh, which they dominated as expected. Yeah, so that was a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they, 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 they played a team that came in here to do exactly what, what, what occurred. Um, that will probably be the worst team that Oregon plays uh, all year in Lafayette, uh, so be it. Now they get UC Santa Barbara this weekend for the second straight year, a series that was supposed to be played in Southern California gets moved uh, due to weather down there. And then uh, unfortunate irony being that the weather uh, in Eugene is not expected to be particularly good either. But be that all as it may, uh, Oregon gets uh, a three-game series to Santa Barbara coming up uh, and then follows with uh, a trip to uh, to Arizona to play uh, both Grand Canyon and then uh, ASU to start league play uh, only a week later. So, again, it, it really jumps right into league play pretty quickly here now that the conference tournaments are, are part of the equation. But a nice start for the Ducks. Uh, Baseball-wise, are we going to get into every which statistic yet? No, because especially there's nothing, 0.0, to read off of uh, – any one individual performance from last weekend uh, by way of statistics because, I mean, come on now. Uh, but having said that, pitching-wise, uh, where there were a lot of questions because there were questions based off injury last year and then they had a lot of guys to replace and particularly out of the bullpen and other things, hey, between starters who've done pretty nicely so far, uh, some of whom have done re- really, really nicely so far, and a, a couple of guys out of the bullpen who've Again, you don't want to you know, get too crazy just yet, but some nice performances, uh, some really powerful pitchers, uh, some good strikeout numbers, good velocity. Uh, so th- there's been, without getting too hyperbolic here, it's still a, a wee bit early for any of that, uh, but there have been some some new names uh, to the roster who have stood out, uh, particularly in the pitching realm. But yes, and, and not taking anything away from the offense, but I don't want to make more of the offense because they were just playing Lafayette. So let's let's keep it in a degree of perspective. Uh, but whether it's Brock Moore or Cole Stokes or yeah, some new names in the bullpen in particular uh, who I thought did uh, rather well last weekend for the baseball side of things. Uh, whereas it's softball, uh, who also a, a, a tournament hosts and has their home opener, uh, as we are uh, as we're recording here, uh, whether uh, weather permitting uh, on a tough weekend, uh, a weekend that loses a little bit of juice with uh, with Florida State uh, not making the trip. 
understandably because of the weather forecast they were trying to fit in two double headers on back-to-back days and yeah, if you're going to travel that far that's a long the, way to go to not play yeah <laughs> yeah that again it would have been chaotic where assuming even any game would have gotten in or even multiple games gotten in but if you had all kinds of weather delays what that does and you got flights and all these things that get very very complicated logistically so unfortunately a weekend that loses a little bit of juice because of that uh, but nevertheless, uh, some games with Mount St. Mary's, Maryland, uh, in particular, uh, on tap for uh, for Oregon softball, and a season so far that's gotten off to a difficult start at nine and seven because so far their situational hitting, it's been their offense has been uh, the the issue, uh, pitching wise. Not to say they've been flawless, um, but they've been quite strong. Uh, even in losses, they've been quite strong. It's that. Hitting wise, in their losses, their situational hitting has been brutal. Uh, getting on, getting on base has been far less the issue. The issue has been two out hitting, runner in scoring position hitting. Uh, that has been this team's bugaboo so far. And well, on one hand, here we are in February uh, 29th talking about um, you know whether or not uh, you know the team's hitting well or not. Yeah, but but 16 games into a softball season is actually a significant chunk of a season. Uh, I realize once you get into league play in the very, very near future, you know, weekends start getting down to three-game series again. But but 16 games is a good chunk of games, even if it's only a couple of weekends. Uh, that's, that's a significant portion of the non-conference play and against some of the better teams, some of whom are quite comparable to the Pac-12 teams that Oregon's going to be facing, including right out of the chute, with Cal and Utah, uh, that's that's got to be a little bit concerning. Yes, uh, that some of the situational hitting has just not been there. And it's not a matter of one player or two players. This has been virtually across the board. It was going to be tough for Oregon, not just tough, but really tough, to replace two All-Americans in Allie Bunker and, and Tara McGowan offensively, uh, or and in the field for that matter. In the field, they've done... You know, so far better, and that that's still one of the great strengths of the team uh, under the missing Lombardi. Their defense is fantastic, but their situational hitting has been—it's been poor to start off. Yeah, there's no other way around. And they've it. really been, dropped in the rankings pretty precipitously too. That's that's—I mean, yeah, that's inevitable. That's but yeah, when you when you know nine and seven, and and you lose the games that they've lost, yeah, and they've they've dropped from being a top fifteen team in the preseason polls to being, you know, 25 and one and 26, you know, unranked in the other. Uh, not great. Not great. And that's, that's the difference. You know, it's a sport where at the very elite level, there's not a lot of margin for error. Uh, the the ga- games are decided at times on basically two plays, you know, that's about it at the, at the absolute highest of levels uh, of college softball. Pitching is dominant and one or two hits decides the whole thing. And one or two hits a game, five or six or seven times over, that's been the difference. So on one hand, you could say, well, if you had five or six more hits, they could be. Well, yeah, they could, they could, but they're not. And on one hand, is it a little too early to raise all kinds of alarms? Yeah, probably. On the other hand, again, 16 games is not an insignificant number by way of non-conference play. And with the caliber of opponents they have to play remaining, particularly once conference play begins uh, very shortly, uh, how alarming uh, those results can and should be will be 
readily evident. Uh, and, and that's where, as I say, like on one hand, do they have some players doing really well offensively? Kai Lushar in particular, uh, a leadoff batter who, you know, she surged in once she got healthy last year. She's hitting 500. She's doing remarkable. That's why I say getting on base is not the problem. She's fantastic. She's one of not just one of the best leadoff hitters probably in the con- conference. She's probably one of the best leadoff hitters in the country. <laughs> and an incredible fielder. Her, her speed is remarkable. Uh, she will be, I mean, forget about hitting 500 all year, but no matter what she hits all year, she'll probably be not just an all-conference candidate, could be an all-American candidate from that perspective. There are things positive for the offense, yes, but it's you, you got to get her in. Um, you know, she's going to get on base a lot, uh, but you got to get any number of runs in and that's been this team's struggle so far so we'll see how this weekend goes for them one hope that they get as many games in as possible uh and we'll touch uh, more on uh the spring sports uh in the weeks ahead as again they shift into conference play very very soon uh for both uh baseball and softball so we'll get into that more and we'll spread up uh spring football here uh in the probably next week uh quite frankly because uh we got the announcement uh, today that uh, Oregon will be opening spring practice uh, in just a, a matter of a couple of weeks, a, a couple of practices before spring break. So the Ducks will open spring practice on March 14th uh, and hold the second on the 16th. So T-shirt time, uh, T-shirt days will be on the 16th, on the 14th and 16th. Then they'll have the two-week hiatus for uh, fi- winter finals and spring break and come back and resume on uh, April the 2nd. So, uh, but we will set up and uh, wrap up uh, everything in terms of uh, the women's basketball season and heading into the tournament, setting up for the end of the men's basketball season and begin to, uh, yes, lay the groundwork for spring practice and remind everybody, you know, of all the personnel movement and the like uh, and set up for what that will look like uh, once spring practice begins. But we'll get into that a little bit next week and again the following week for once spring practice really does get here. But for this uh, edition of the podcast, uh, we appreciate it. We thank you and uh, remind you, Make sure to subscribe to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. Give us a, a like, a follow, a five-star review, all those fine and fun things. So that way you can hear uh, each and every edition of Ducks Confidential and all of the other uh, fine programs on the Oregonian Sports Podcast uh, to get all of your coverage of all things uh, Oregon sports, not just Ducks, whether that be Beavers, Blazers, high school sports, and all the like, uh, and all the work of our fine colleagues as well. So for Brian Clark, I am James Crepia, and we will see you next week.